0: Hello, and welcome back to Hidden Animals. This is episode five. Uh, Today's story is a little bit different from the others. It's a lot shorter, uh, and this deals with a lot more philosophy than it does with plot. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. This is the fifth story in the collection, Ripples. This one is called Ants. (laughs) Ants. Jordan sat on the driveway, watching his daughter ride her bike up and down the asphalt in the streaky summer twilight. The training wheels rattled and squeaked as she pedaled with all the might her tawny legs could muster. She scratched to a stop in front of Jordan, and he smiled at her. You're doing great! It's almost time to lose those training wheels! She grinned and climbed down from the bike. The little girl with dusty blonde curls plopped in her father's lap, wiping the trace of sweat from her forehead on his sleeve. He pointed to an ant crawling by his leg. Look, see that ant? There's a smaller ant clamped onto his leg, and they've been fighting for the last few minutes. The big one can't seem to shake the little one. His name is Big Ant, she said, pointing her finger. That one's name is Little Ant. The childlike simplicity made Jordan smile. He had always known he would enjoy being a father, but he had no way of knowing how much it was possible to love another person. Daddy, why are they fighting? I don't know. What do you think ants fight about? As a man of science, he had the habit of turning questions back on his daughter. Maybe they can't share their toys. Jordan laughed. Maybe. Sounds familiar, huh? He gave her a playful poke in the ribs, which elicited a giggle. It was probably the purest sound he knew. Or maybe they hate each other, she offered. Like you and mommy. Her words, though spoken in the matter-of-fact tone so natural to children, scalded him. "'Mommy and I don't hate each other, sweetie. We get mad sometimes, sort of like you get mad at your brother, but that's not for you to worry about. All grown-ups do it. The important thing is, we both love you so much.'" Together, Jordan and his little girl watched the ants grapple for several more minutes. There was much fury, but no progress in any direction. Big Ant stumbled blindly around in circles, pausing occasionally to try and dislodge Little Ant's jaws from his leg. For a minute or so, they stopped completely, but then their combat resumed with increased fervor. Jordan studied their movements carefully. He too wondered why they fought, and he couldn't help but note the futility of their struggle. There was no way for either of them to win. They were bound to their quarrel, and bound to each other by it. He looked up, just in time to see a shadow disappear behind the curtains. It was almost time for the kids to take baths. He kissed the girl on her head, but she was so wrapped by the battle raging around her toes that she took no notice. Daddy, do we look like ants to God? This question startled Jordan. Maybe, he said, obviously unsure of how to answer such a query. Many of his family members talked about God regularly and they took the kids to church on special occasions. She had learned about God and Jesus in a very distant manner, but this was the first time she had acknowledged any recognition of a deity without any ceremonial attachments. He was amazed by the depth of the question, amazed that a five-year-old was trying to understand the nature of God's perspective relative to people. Jordan looked back down at the ants. Maybe if there were a God, this is how he would see us. We would probably appear as mindless insects, fighting each other for no conceivable purpose. Creatures who move without meaning, build without growing, live without seeing. But Big Ant soldiered on, unaware of his omniscient observer. He had a reason, temporary as it was, to free himself from the jaws of Little Ant. His life depended entirely on escaping, and after that, there was still only the goal of survival. Jordan could certainly sympathize. He wrapped his arms around the tiny human snuggled in his lap. She smelled delicately of sweat. As if cued by an unseen director, she jumped up and climbed back onto her bike, the pendulum of her attention span swinging back toward the need for motion. Jordan picked up a twig and carefully pinned down Little Ant by his fat, bulbous rear end. He thought of God's enormous cosmic hand arbitrating in the affairs of men. Was there any justice in divine intervention? If God really created the universe and its inhabitants, then the laws of nature inevitably enforced his will and left men without any chance of true freedom. They could live and work and love, totally unconscious of the faded paths indelibly laid before them, and in the end, all could be swept away at random by a single act of some distant being. Little Ant squirmed under the pressure, but his jaws remained clenched. Big Ant, unsure of the implications of this new development, fought even more ferociously. His efforts succeeded in wrenching Little Ant's body apart, the head and thorax torn away from the abdomen, which now lay inert under the stick in Jordan's hand. Still, Little Ant's mouth clutched his opponent's leg, unyielding. Jordan looked up into the summer Tuesday twilight and watched the fireflies flash bulb their love songs along the edge of the trees. He was suddenly grateful for the empty expanse of space beyond the smeared reds and oranges of the atmosphere. No invisible judge watched him, no hand ready to pin him down. If Jordan could not rescue one stupid ant from the jaws of another, how could any god possibly work in the lives of so many stupid human beings? Maybe that was the wrong question. How could God even know what needed to be done? Maybe Jordan had chosen the wrong side. Little Aunt very well could have been the victim of some tragic mistreatment and was fighting for a just cause. Maybe. A tearful shriek whipped Jordan's head around. Bicycle and rider had overturned, the training wheel bent at the axle, still spinning. He jumped to his feet and scooped up his daughter and reassured her. It's okay, sweetie, I've got you. A thin trail of blood seeping from her skinned elbow trickled down onto Jordan's forearm as he carried her toward the house to clean the wound. She buried her face into her father's warm shirt to dry her tears. In the fading dusk, Big Ant stumbled around, still unable to free his defunct leg from the dying clutches of his adversary. After reading the first four stories or listening to the first four stories in this collection, uh, it wouldn't be surprising if a lot of people thought that something really terrible was going to happen, you know, probably to the little girl. But I think the story provides a nice break from, you know, the awful, painful stories that that came before it. But in this story, it seems like nothing really happens. Um, and short stories can be like this sometimes. It's not so much about the plot. It's not so much about the things that happen in the story. It's about the characters and what they're thinking and and how they are influenced by uh, the world around them, which is why this one focuses a lot more on Jordan's philosophical ponderings than on what's actually happening in the story. You know, a little girl's riding her bike. They, they watch this battle between the ants for a few minutes, and then she falls off and they go inside. You know, there's not a lot of action there because that's not really the point. That's not what the story's about. And this one is actually based on a true story. This is one of those times where something I experienced in real life... Uh, made its way into my writing. I remember sitting on the driveway while my son, uh, probably four or five, six at the time, was, you know, he's riding his bike around. And I remember looking down and seeing these two ants fighting. And it's exactly as it's described in the story. Uh, there's a big ant. He's got a little ant clamped onto one of his legs. And they're just kind of uh, scooting around in circles. And there's no way either one of these ants can win this battle. It seemed to me at the time very pointless. You know, and I, I almost, I kind of laughed to myself and thought, what what's the point here? What's the purpose? You you know, what's being accomplished. And for whatever reason, I I thought it was funny or interesting. So I just jotted it down in the notes on my phone thinking I might write something. I don't know, maybe it would appear in a story somewhere. Who knew? But it's kind of funny how fact and fiction begin to blur because I I remember watching the ants and I, I remember pointing them out to my son. But You know, all of the philosophical questions going on, you know, I don't remember if I thought about any of that stuff at the time or if that stuff that I added sort of in my head later. But I I do think it's interesting that I had this experience and it turned into a story. And even I can't tell where the truth ends and the fiction begins. Also, the part about uh, pinning down the little ant with a stick and how he gets ripped in half, I don't remember doing that. I do think I remember, as I was writing it, needing to include some kind of intervention on Jordan's part so that I could tie in uh, the concept of of God watching over us and sometimes interfering in, in human affairs. And so this story provides kind of a nice contrast to the religious imagery uh, in Secret, where you've got these blatant Christian overtones of redemption and grace and salvation, uh, because as Jordan Reveals he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe that there's uh, any cosmic being out there who's in charge of everything. And on one hand, that's a very scary thought for some people, because if you don't have that opportunity for redemption or salvation from outside, then that makes things seem hopeless. But from Jordan's point of view, it's kind of the exact opposite. He feels if there were a deity like this out there that it or he would not be this kind, compassionate, uh, loving God, he sees it as a figure who would interfere in our lives and and try to control us. And so Jordan's idea of free will seems to rely on the true freedom of being able to make his own decisions without fear of um, any outside force, some, you know, cosmic overlord watching him and controlling his every move. He gets to make his own decisions for better or for worse. And so some of this comes from my experience uh, a few years ago when I had the opportunity to teach a philosophy class. And I remember really, really enjoying reading about the different worldviews that people had, the different paradigms under which people live. And existentialism seemed kind of wildly different from a lot of the things that I had grown up believing and what I was taught to believe. And I mean, it's definitely got its detractors. But the most basic definition of existentialism that I can give is just that we make our own meaning. Uh, There's no meaning to life outside of what we do uh, and the choices we make. And that's probably not the best definition of existentialism. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it, but I'm kind of working from memory here. But under this this worldview of existentialism, it might seem like, you know, since there are no rules, there's no boundaries, there's no outside uh, lawmaker or anyone to tell you what's right and wrong. So we have to decide that for ourselves. And that may seem like a very amoral position. You know, you can just really do whatever you want and there are no consequences for it. But a lot of people find that that idea liberating, not in the sense that they can go out and do whatever evil they want to. It's that they don't have to worry about making the wrong choice or breaking some law they didn't even know existed, which is the position that Jordan seems to take on this. Uh, it's not like he wants to go out and do all these terrible things. It's just that he wants to live his life and enjoy uh, the the life that he's been given without fear of angering some distant being that he knows nothing about. And that's why when his daughter asks the question, you know, do we look like ants to God, it kind of reverses. Jordan's perspective for a minute. And he has to think about what it's like to be on God's side. And that doesn't help him either. Because if he's thinking about it from God's perspective, we probably would look like these mindless little insects that just kind of walk around and fight and, you know, eat and die. And that's it. So why would such a God care about human beings at all when we just look like these tiny, silly little creatures? And, you know, how could he even know what it is we need or want or feel? Because the way Jordan sees it, if looking down on these ants gives him this feeling of very detached superiority, that's the way that he sees God looking down on us. And, you know, this position discounts a lot of of the theological teachings about God being, you know, omniscient and omnipresent and everything. And especially in Christianity, where God is very intensely personal and loving, and he wants the best for all people. But Jordan is outside that framework. He doesn't believe those things are possible because he sees his own view of the ants as the only way he can imagine God looking down at us. And the point of the story is not to settle any religious or philosophical debate at all. This is just to provide a kind of contrast to the other stories, which all deal with characters making very specific decisions and sometimes struggling with those decisions because they're not sure what's right and wrong. But in this case, instead of getting the battle of trying to decide what to do or what's right and wrong in a situation, the story highlights the gap between sort of this lofty, abstract, philosophical thinking and living your life on the ground where you are. Because while Jordan is lost in his thoughts and having this whole conversation in his head, uh, his daughter, meanwhile, is still riding her bike. She's still enjoying the the summer evening outside with her dad and playing and having fun. And he's over there considering the nature of the cosmos and, and our position in it and all this stuff. But then when her bike tips over he is brought back to reality. He's brought His attention is, is brought back to the moment at hand. And, you know, he rushes to attend to his daughter and try to comfort her, which is what any good father would do in that situation. And the battle between sort of an existential view and certain religious worldviews, if there is no God, then there is no meaning, then nothing matters. But when Jordan's daughter falls off her bike, it matters. Even if in the grand scheme of things, we are these tiny specks floating out in a cold and different universe. At the moment, Jordan's concern for his daughter matters. Her fear and her pain matter to him, much in the same way that from an outside observer, the conflict between Big Ant and Little Ant seems ridiculous or petty or stupid, but for whatever reason, it matters to them. Big Ant and Little Ant are locked in this struggle for uh, some reason that's unknowable to us, but it has to mean something to them. And in a way, this is how the story connects to the rest of the collection, even though it's very Thematically and structurally different from the other stories, the story really does come down to the notion of consequences. And, you know, sometimes it's not this big life changing decision that people face, and, you know, we have to carefully consider every little aspect of what we're doing. You know, sometimes our our actions, our decisions are almost automatic. Jordan doesn't have to think for a second about what he needs to do and what the outcome is going to be if he goes and helps his daughter. And so regardless of where you fall on this spectrum in terms of religious belief or whatever, or the meaning of life, you know, these things are worth talking about. They're worth thinking about. Lots of people have devoted their entire lives to to pursuing these things. But sometimes the best thing to do is just live your life and pay attention to the things in front of you, um, because those are often the things that matter to us. You know, maybe some uh, supernatural being or deity or some distant alien race or uh, whatever computer programmers that are simulating our existence or whatever, they might look down on us and think that our lives are meaningless and worthless and and silly, but it doesn't have to matter to them. It matters to us. And those are the things that for us are are worth doing. All right. Well, that one is very short, very quick. Uh, Tried to pack a lot of stuff into it, but hope you enjoyed it. Once again, thank you for listening, and I hope you will come back and join me next time when I read the next story, which is Gone. I want to take just a second here to give a shout out to a really good podcast I came across recently called Meaningless Problems by Doe Willman. If you are interested in some excellent short stories, very well written, very uh, good production quality, it is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, His stories are really good, very thought provoking, and he kind of set a, a crazy sort of challenge for himself to write and record and release a new short story episode every week for an entire year. I believe he started back in March of this year. Uh, So he's got quite a few episodes up already, uh, and if you are interested in that, uh, you should definitely give it a listen. I have enjoyed his stories immensely and actually had the pleasure of talking to him for a little while the other day, and we we had a lovely conversation. So highly recommend it. Check it out if you get a chance. If you'd like to support the podcast, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can share on social media. You can review the podcast on whatever service you're using, like Spotify or Apple or Google. You can email me with comments or questions, uh, andrew at com. If you'd like to donate directly, you can do so at the website, hiddenanimalspodcast.com. I'm very grateful for all my supporters, and as always, thank you for listening.